When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means along in a moment. We have a couple big things to talk about. One is Ohio State tight ends and what we, we really should think about them in the offense, in recruiting. Uh, a good discussion on that because people are always obsessed with Ohio State tight ends. Then we finish up with frozen pizza. But first, I want to tease you a little bit. Our favorite modern football Buckeye bracket is rolling along. We have entered the Urban Meyer offense region. If you guys don't know what it is, we did a 68-man bracket. That meant we had four play-in games. Then we divided this thing into four regions. Jim Trestle offense, Jim Trestle defense, Urban Meyer offense, Urban Meyer defense, starting from 2001 to the present, finding your favorite modern football Buckeye. We have gone through three regions. We are now in the fourth region, the Urban Meyer offense, where Ezekiel Elliott is the number one seed. But the second round is going to be the money round. That's when we're going to have some awesome matchups like number four Malik Hooker versus number five Nick Bosa in the uh, Urban Meyer defense region. We have um, what's another good one that I know of? Oh, number four, Chris Gamble, number five, Malcolm Jenkins in the Jim Trestle defense region. Um, just like a lot of man, we have like Maurice Claret, number three. Maurice Claret versus number six, Michael Jenkins in the Jim Trestle offense region. A lot of really good second round matchups, because I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a lot of good Ohio State players. So if you want to get in on this, our tech subscribers, our friends of the pod get to vote. If you want to vote, do a 14 day free trial. That'll take you through the end of the bracket. Then you can stop if you want. It's 614-350-3315. You get our texts on the bracket, plus everything else we're texting about. I'm I sent out one Monday morning asking people I have a little list of the best and worst of Ohio State in my time covering the team that I'm asking people if they want it or not. If they want it, I'll tease you later what it is. Um, But try it. Right. Try the text. Six, one, four, three, five, oh, three, three, one, five. You can also follow along with the bracket at Cleveland.com. We keep updating it. And we are now in the uh, the Meyer offense region for the first round. But the second round is going to be really fun. So we appreciate you guys listening. Um, we're here for you. We appreciate you guys being there for us. Make sure you catch the big Wednesday podcast on Friday. We did a Travion Henderson podcast all about the latest five-star running back recruit. Now tight ends, frozen pizza from cleveland.com, Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Thanks for listening. Here we go. Um, all right, let's move on to, uh, Ohio state tight end, which is, Always an area of interest, perhaps obsession, probably unnecessarily so. But I was going back through, I tried to go back through all the texts. And if you want to be a tech subscriber and get involved with the podcast, really be part of the podcast. Try it out right now, 14-day free trial. 
just send a text to 614-350-3315. I went back to March 1st and I was trying, I'm trying to go through all the texts, maybe questions we didn't get to on a pod, maybe something that slipped by us and go over some things and, and have some really good questions that deserve attention um, that we can get to on the pod. We can write about it at cleveland.com slash OSU. This is one from the 303 when we were talking about players, I think that we really were interested in for spring football. And this person said, I believe Jeremy Ruckert is potentially one of the most important players this year. We almost never talk about him, but I think he's the Baron Browning of the offense. Super high skills and potential, but has been um, behind other receiving targets and more established targets. Ohio State has one proven receiver on offense. Garrett Wilson looks poised to have a breakout year, but he really didn't play much last year. Ruckert is the most experienced player in the system with huge potential. The new guys are talented, but they've never played uh, in many cases. Just think we should be paying more attention to this situation and how Ruckert fits in. So Jeremy Ruckert was the number two tight end recruit in the class of 2018, number two in the nation. Um, he played a little bit as a freshman. Last year, he had 14 catches for 142 yards. That Those 14 catches ranked seventh on the team for number of catches. So as we talk about this tight end position, we're going to look at other tight ends on the roster, how they're recruiting lately. Nathan, when you hear someone say, watch out for Jeremy Rucker, does that make sense to you? Or are you sort of like, why would you ever watch out for a tight end at Ohio State? Well, I think if you were to go back to a couple months to one of the podcasts we did where we, one of the questions was, who is your dark horse All-America candidate? I think we were picking maybe even both sides of the ball, and I picked Jeremy Ruckert. I'm pretty sure we can go back and check that. Um, but I, when I, when we say dark horse, I mean true dark horse. And I think a lot would have to obviously go right, and um, some things would have to change from what we've seen in the past for that to be a, a, a remote possibility. Um, I, I, I do understand what they're saying, though. He he does fit the profile of one of those guys. You know, I just wrote a piece last week about, or I guess it was earlier this week about the the idea of someone kind of on defense following in that Marshawn Lattimore, um, uh, Malik Hooker kind of profile of jumping out in his third year. Um, I guess it wasn't just on defense. It was anybody on the roster. And I probably could have put Ruckert in there, although he's had enough of a role that I didn't really think he qualified. But he's one of those guys you can see that the talent is there. It just hasn't necessarily all come together. And then also the other factor being just where those guys fit in the offense. We talked to Kevin Wilson about this at one of the few – uh, practices we got, we were able to talk to the tight ends and we talked to Kevin Wilson and, it, you know, he keeps coming back to the point of, you know, the tight ends, it's not necessarily that the tight ends aren't good enough to catch more passes, but why are you, wh- how high up in the rotation are you putting a Jeremy Ruckert? If you also have all these other receivers to throw to, I think that's still going to be a problem this year. I don't necessarily see him. I kind of disagree with the question a little bit that they don't have more proven receivers than that. I mean, I think, I think Garrett Wilson, you saw the way his usage was spiking late in the season. Um, there's other guys in this offense that I think uh, if, if they're not necessarily proven, you see what talent is there and what they could do. And it's a more dynamic receiving option than the tight end. So I, I'm curious how they might use the tight end differently this year just because of some things that are going with the run game and that sort of thing. I, I think the opportunity is there for him to have a, a breakout. I understand why they're saying it. 
I was even the one that said it. I just think that it's it's not going to – do I expect him to come in and have like some kind of 60-catch season where he's you know one of the leading receivers among all tight ends in the country? I just don't know if that's in the cards for an Ohio State tight end in this offense, especially because you've also got Luke Farrell there still taking a lot of targets, a lot of snaps, a lot of time too. Do you think he could be in for a breakout, Steven, or do you think there's too much working against him? No, it's too much work against him. Ohio State doesn't use tight ends enough. It's just that simple. Jeremy Rucker might end up being a guy who was a very underutilized guy in college and then for some reason is one of the best tight ends in the NFL. Like, that's a real reality at this point just because he's out of, he's, he's not in Iowa. So they're not going to use him the same way that maybe an NFL team would use him. It, Richard Barrett is a guy, if they were, ha- if, they have had a pro day. He is a prime example of a guy who might end up having an NFL, better NFL career than college career just because the way teams are going to utilize him, just and what how he'll perform at pro day. So no, I think the first couple of games we'll see some stuff with the tight ends and we'll get all excited just like we did at the beginning of last season. And then by the time November rolls around, we'll be like, oh yeah, what happened to all the tight end uses you had at the beginning of the season? So. I think there are two things that uh, are working against Ohio State tight ends in general on a regular basis. Um, One is that the receivers are too good, as you mentioned, Nathan. It's like, well, why would you throw to those guys when you could throw to Michael Thomas or Devin Smith or Garrett Wilson or Paris Campbell or K.J. Hill? When you have great receivers, you don't throw the tight end because tight ends are all about mismatches. You're looking for a mismatch. But most of the time, Ohio State's best receiver is already a mismatch. Chris Olave is a mismatch. You don't have to go look for the mismatch at tight end because, like, nobody can cover Chris Olave because he's fast and he has good hands and he runs good routes. So what happens, I think, is lots – maybe this is wrong because – Tight ends are so important in the NFL now, and the Browns just spent a gazillion dollars on Austin Hooper because Baker Mayfield loves throwing to the tight end, and everybody loves 12 personnel packages. And I think if the Browns put Austin Hooper and David Njoku on the field together, it could be some great stuff happening for the Browns. But when you have a vast talent edge, the the best teams don't have to throw their tight end. Iowa throws to the tight end. Purdue throws to the tight end because their receivers stink, right? Is that just – is that too honest? I mean, Rondale Moore, I love – not you, Rondale, not Rondale. I, no, oh, if, but, I hurt, if I hurt Rondale's feelings, if he's listening, I don't mean you. I mean the but, typical <laughs> middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team receiver is not a mismatch, so maybe they're like big tight end in the middle of the field who has a little bit of speed is a better option. But that happened last year for Purdue. Um, they had a pretty good tight end, Bryson Hopkins, a guy who's probably going to get drafted fairly high, um, and – Rondo Moore was hurt, so your your dynamic, super dynamic slot guy is not able to play. And, they, and even their, their other really good freshman receiver, David Bell, was hurt for a little bit. So all of a sudden, those targets started going to somebody else. And that's how he had the kind of breakout season he had. I think he was a second-team All-American on some lists. I mean, had a, had a really great season. Bryson Hopkins had 61 catches for 830 yards last year. Um, there's really no path for – No. Even if Luke Farrell wasn't around, that's no there's no path – for Jeremy Rucker to those kind of no. numbers. Do you Last think- year was the best opportunity for that to happen because they were only using one H-back. That was the best opportunity for a tight end to have a breakout season at Ohio State. Do you think Bryson Hopkins is a better football player than Jeremy Ruckert? That's a really interesting question to pose. 
And and it's an interesting question to pose when you're talking about tight ends because football player is a different question than receiving tight end. He's not. Rucker's better. Rucker's no, better. Rucker's yeah, better. Right. Rucker's be- yeah, Rucker's better. Rucker, Rucker's better. No offense That's what to I'm Bryce. I think he's a better. I think he's a better all-around football player. No offense to Bryson Hopkins, who I have no idea who you are, and I have no idea how you play, because <laughs> it's not my business. Uh, if I'm worried, honestly, if I know something about Purdue tight ends, my life is in shambles. I'm watching Purdue tight ends in my free time, so I know nothing about you, random Purdue tight end. But I know that Jeremy Ruckert is better than you. I just felt like sounding like a homer for a moment. So listen, this is I tallied this up. These are Ohio State's catches for their top tight end by year. And there's a point I want to make. So get ready for your, for some stats here and then we'll get to a point, but from starting with 2019 and we'll go back to 2005. Cause I don't know if people on this podcast have noticed at this point, much of what I do when I talk about eras of Ohio state football is the Doug era. And it's when I started covering the team. And if I didn't cover the that's team, all that matters. I don't count it in the stats. I don't, I wasn't here in 2004, so I don't care what happened. So we're going from 2019 to 2005. Here's the leading tight end, what they did. Jeremy Ruckert, 14 catches, 142 yards, seventh leading receiver on the team. 2018, Luke Farrell, 20 catches, 205, ninth leading receiver. 2017, Marcus Baugh, 28 catches, 304, fourth leading receiver. 2016, Marcus Baugh, Baugh, 24 catches, 269, fourth leading receiver. 2015, Nick Vanette, 19 catches, 162, sixth leading receiver. 2014, Nick Vanette, 19 catches, 220, seventh leading receiver. 2013, Jeff Hireman, 26 catches, 466, fourth leading receiver. 2012, Jake Stoneburner, 16 catches, 269, third leading receiver. He was kind of half tight end, half receiver that year, but I'll still count him as a tight end. 2011, Jake Stoneburner, 11 catches, 193, third leading receiver. 2010, Jake Stoneburner, 21 catches, 222, fourth leading receiver. 2009, Jake Ballard, 14 catches, 150, fifth leading receiver. 2008, Brandon Smith, eight catches, 47 yards, seventh leading receiver. 2007, Rory Nickel, 16 catches, 84 yards, fourth leading receiver. 2006, Rory Nickel, 13 catches, 151, sixth leading receiver. 2005, Ryan Hanby, nine catches, 85 yards, sixth leading receiver. The last time that the tight end was really, really, really huge, Ben Hartsock in 2003 was their second leading receiver, 33 catches for 290. But that is something there that is sort of a trend that they're the fifth, sixth, seventh most important receiver on the team. That's a trend through the Trestle era and the Meyer era. It's a trend through different quarterbacks. And I think the one unifying thing there is that they had good receivers. And that's the thing there, that the initial point of whether it's Devere Posey or Dane Sanzenbacher or Santonio Holmes or Anthony Gonzalez or Ted Ginn Jr. or Devin Smith or Garrett Wilson or KJ Hill or Paris Campbell, when you have great talent at receiver, you don't throw to the tight end as much in college. Does that feel like we're repeating ourselves a little bit, but the number one overriding point from those stats. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's common sense. And the other thing is um, 
I think the Ohio State quarterbacks have been pretty good. A lot of some of these guys, the Big Ten, I mean, the Big Ten stinks at producing quarterbacks. And again, if Brian Ferentz is listening, that means you, Brian Ferentz. Um, Nate Stanley had one good game against Ohio State, like in his career and beat Ohio State. The rest of the time, he was completely like the most mediocre quarterback in the world. So when you're a mediocre quarterback, you're looking for easy, you're looking for outlets, you're looking for short throws, you're looking for, you know, sometimes we talk about the throw to the tight end in the middle of the field can be a difficult throw. When the tight end is like your outlet and it's a little swing or a little turn, you know, the tight end runs out eight yards and turn or turns around and boxes the guy out. It's an easy throw. So the other part of this is I think the offenses are less dynamic and the quarterbacks aren't as good. And so they're looking for easy outlets. So the result is from 2005 to 2019, the most catches for a tight end, and this surprised me, was Marcus Ball, 28 catches in 2017. And the most yards for a tight end was 2013, Jeff Hireman, 466 yards. But in 2013, Braxton Miller wasn't that great of a thrower. So he used Jeff Hireman a lot, right? I mean, that was, he needed Jeff Hireman at times. So in comparison, I tried to look just the last two years in the Big Ten, how many tight ends have had more than 28 catches. Again, from 2000, from over a 15 year period, Ohio State's high for a tight end was 28. Last year in the Big Ten, there were four tight ends who had more than 28 catches. The year before in the Big Ten, there were five tight ends who had more than 28 catches. So what is an average tight end year for a lot of the Big Ten is like the best year ever for an Ohio State tight end. Now I want to spin it to recruiting. Nathan, if you were a tight end recruit, would you come to play at Ohio State? Or would you look at Jeremy Ruckert and say, man, that guy's awesome. He doesn't get the ball. I'm not going there. Well, I guess it, not to be a total cop-out, but it sort of depends just on what motivates you as a recruit. I mean, do you want to come here and and compete for a national championship, or do you want to go somewhere else where uh, they throw their tight end the ball and you go to um, some bowl that nobody watches? I mean, that's that's it's a quest. It's what they compete against a lot of times, I think. It's, it's one of those two things. Um, I, I, it's 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 not as if they, they you know ignore tight ends in this offense and you know tight ends they they ran a lot of of 12 personnel sets last year there were a lot of times so there were two tight ends on the field um to help them do what they wanted to do and well, that, they, may fall through again it. this year they ignore them throwing the ball i mean that's a fact yeah, yeah no, but again it's a, they're in right. the offense i mean again it, it depends on they're what blocking. you think yeah and i also yeah, think i also think I this goes back to what steven was saying before too is um how they're used in on game days is not always the only thing that helps them have a, a strong pro career beyond that. I, I think I agree with what you're saying about Ruckert. He seems like one of those guys that could um, pop going into the draft, whatever year he decides to come out in a way that he maybe didn't get a chance to on game days while he's at Ohio state. I'm not coming. And that to kind Ohio of thing state resonates with Jeremy Ruckert. No, if I'm that level of talent, I want the best of both worlds. I want to dominate the college level. And then I want to go to the NFL and dominate too. I don't want to have to, you know, wait three years now. People questioning how good I am because because of things that weren't necessarily in my control. No, I'm not coming to Ohio State. If I'm a top 100 tight end, I'm not coming here. So if you were the number one tight end recruit in the country and your two finalists were Iowa and Ohio State, where would you go? I'm going to Iowa because I know I'm going to get the ball because of everything you just named. You have no choice but to give me the ball. You're not talented enough to throw it anywhere else, and there's nowhere else that's talented enough to catch the ball for you. So. 
but I also think it's it's important to remember that there's a difference between a tight end and there's a and a and a guy who would in a lot of offenses be a receiver who lines up at tight end. Um, those like big super those those really really upper echelon guys those guys who are one the ones who maybe set themselves apart a little bit in the NFL. I don't know if if Jeremy Ruckert really is that. He may be more of just a um, traditional tight end who can catch the ball pretty good. Um, but there is like a, a different level. And I think those guys, if you, if one of those guys ended up at Ohio State, maybe they would get who? used differently. I don't who? really know if those, I don't know, Rob Gronkowski. No, you're wrong. Aaron no, Hernandez. You're wrong. Actually, no. you're wrong on that because they've had those guys. Jeff Hireman yeah. was that guy. Nick Vanette yeah. was that guy. Jake Ballard was that guy. Jeff Hireman and Nick Vanette were both thir- third round NFL picks. They could catch. Yeah. They could block. They were six, five. They were big, but they were still fast. And Nick Vanette had 19 catches for his career at Ohio State. It is not that they are not recruiting the right kind of guy. If TJ Hawkinson, Hawkinson was at Ohio State, he'd have 28 catches. He wouldn't have 60 catches. It's I, I guarantee you it is not. Jeremy Ruckett's the number two tight end recruit in the country. Yeah, and he's he, he fits that bill of an all-around tight end. He just isn't getting the ball the same way somebody at Iowa would get the ball. It doesn't mean he's not talented. It just means we're not going to use you. In 2016, the Ohio State recruiting class got the number four tight end in the country and the number seven tight end in the country. Number four was Jake Hausman. Number seven was Luke Farrell. Um, they were both top 200 national players. They came in the same class. They're both Ohio guys. They have every reason to pick Ohio State. But it is it is absolutely not that Ohio State does not have the players who could do those things. They have had a almost every year they have a tight end on the roster who in a different system with less talent around them could easily catch 50 balls. And I'm not saying that they're all TJ Hawkinson, who was a top 10 NFL draft pick, but um, it's about, I think it is almost exclusively about opportunity. And a thing that I think was sort of the final nail in the coffin in this was that Ruckert was so highly rated and their offense is so, under Ryan Day is kind of so flexible and forward thinking, right? And it mm-hmm. still hasn't happened. And it's just like, if it's not going to happen with Rucker, he was sort of like, okay, maybe this is the guy who changes everything. And it has, I mean, that one-handed catch? Yeah, that one-handed the, catch? That, uh, that's Big Ten Championship game. He had one of the freakiest catches of the year. Like, And, you know, that's one of his few catches of the year. That guy could do that every game if you gave him the chance, yeah. and they just haven't given him the chance. And so, again, I, I like when we get little windows into Stephen Means the athlete, and Stephen Means the athlete, if he was a top 100 national no. recruit, was like, I don't care about winning. Give me the no. damn ball. Give me the ball. You know, you know what's better than winning? A nice house. But, I mean, the other point is, I mean, Nick Vanette and Jeff Hireman have nice houses. They didn't do much. They, do. They, didn't get, they didn't get to catch the ball much, but – you go to the combine, you put good film out, you show you can block, you show you can do multiple things. You're still the NFL. I don't. You don't have to catch 80 balls or 60 balls for the no. for the NFL to notice you. But if you care about three or four Both. years of am I a big part of the offense or not? Mm-hmm. A, a tight end at Ohio State. This is this is not the place for you. Not when they've Jeremy, got Julian Fleming and everybody else. But Jeremy Rucker is going to have to do a lot. At- Obviously, the NFL scouts do their work, but he's going to have to do a lot more work at the combine than maybe someone in Iowa would just because he's got to have less on film to be able to show And as far as game film. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the other thing. Is like the, it's not all about the combine and, and workouts and stuff. I mean, he's got the, the 
scouts come to practices. They they get to yeah. see practice film. I mean, there's probably stuff that gets shown on film that doesn't show up on on Saturdays in front of our eyes. Um, but what I think is fascinating about this, and I've been trying to kind of call around it and get some um, something for, for something I can write about this, um, is is talking to some of these other targets because I assume Doug might be leading into this as the next part of the conversation. But Ohio State already has one commitment for 2021, um, Sam Hart from Colorado, but they want a second tight end of the guys I've talked to. So it, it's interesting that, and, and it's not these Ohio guys that they're looking at. It's guys kind of from all over the place, Tennessee, another one from Colorado. Uh, they, they're a little bit more spread out. They're kind of trying to recruit this position nationally. And frankly, they're recruiting. It's it's not like five-star guys and, and upper or high four-star guys, guys who are ranked in the top hundred for the most part. It's guys who are a little bit lower down, not bad recruits, not like leftovers, but nobody that like has that kind of record like big splash star potential at least right now. So it's it's kind of interesting to me how they're trying to appeal to those guys. Um, what what are you selling them on as far as getting them to come to Ohio State, especially if you if you're telling them up front that they want to take two in the same class. All right, so that's our tight end discussion. Um, it's it's. People always like talking about tight ends, so I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to do a quick little thing first, and it's funny um, before we go. Again, if you want to be a, a texter, we're going through all the text questions. We really get such smart questions, um, and we just cannot get to all of them. But now sort of in this down period, we want to make sure that we're really making the texters do our jobs for us. So if you want to do our jobs, if you want to pay $4 a month to do our jobs, be a friend of the pod, 614-350-3315. I saw that Ari and Bill talked about this on their podcast. I didn't have a chance to listen to it, but I saw it in the, the episode description. And I'm wondering if they got the question because we did not address it when it was sent in. And it started with us from the 216. This was sent on March 11th. Do you have thoughts on the best frozen pizzas article on cleveland.com? What are your go-to brands? And so I also did not notice this article on cleveland.com originally. We ranked 130 frozen pizzas. And I will say that my job is a joke. You know, I just sit around and opine about sports. I mean, honestly, anybody with a computer could do this. How you get paid to eat 130 frozen pizzas and write about them. Brenda Case and Yadi Rodriguez, two of our colleagues at Cleveland.com, might be the only people with better jobs than us. They ate pizza and got paid to write about it. They ranked 130 frozen pizzas. Would you guys want to rank 130 frozen pizzas, or is like that too much frozen pizza for you? Right now, yeah. <laughs> why not? Yeah, I've got some time on my hands right now. So why not? And, and nothing but nothing but home eating to do. So. In the taste test, which, taste test, which were spread over a few months, we assigned each pizza a score of one to five. Each judge also wrote comments about several components. So I'm not going to run through the whole list. I'm not going to read the stats like I did for the other one. But can you imagine finishing last on this? It's – 130 pizzas? Oh, about yeah, 130. So not surprisingly, the last place pizza is a soy-free, gluten-free pizza. I mean, you're not even – you're not even not trying pizza. then. Yeah. <laughs> like the entire team thought this pizza was completely devoid of flavor. This looks like the painted wooden toy foods that kids play with and it tastes like it too. Brenda Kane. That is just devastating. 
God, these, and now I want to read this whole thing. This is just no holds barred. Um, there's a Walmart pizza for a buck that's 129th. So let's, and then they get a little fancy in the top. I'm not necessarily interested in, in ranking like fancy um, frozen pizzas. I just like the good old like standard frozen pizzas. The top five here were a bacon and jalapeno Outsiders Pizza Company was number one. The Three Cheese Outsiders Pizza Company was number two. So you can't, it's the same company. With yeah, yeah, hold on. That's the thing here. Is it going to, like, are you going to do it by brand or just by like individual pizza? Because yeah. that's not, no. You're just giving out free advertising at this point. Number three was the garlic and cheeses from Mandia. I don't know. I don't know what that is. These are all too fancy. Beer, cheese sauce, and sausage from great value at Walmart. That's a $6 pizza. That's number four. That's pretty good. Mm. Number yeah. five was the nut free pesto from Against the Grain. Okay. So, if oh. you want to read this, if you want to read a ranking from the middle of the month, we ate 130 frozen pizzas and ranked them worst to best. That's the headline on cleveland.com. You can go find it. What are your go-to frozen pizzas? Steven, you said you have a freezer full. What are you eating right now? Uh, we have a lot of Totino's pizzas. My roommate likes the pepperoni ones. I just get the cheese ones because I don't like pepperoni on my pizza. I like Red Baron, but... When you're trying to buy in bulk, you buy the pizza that's like $2. Um, DiGiorno's is always good. I love stuffed crust, DiGiorno's. So those are my go-to ones, usually. But yeah, right now, a lot of the Totino's pizzas, we had to stock up a lot of food for obvious reasons. I also think you have to be careful. Sometimes the size of the frozen pizza box matters because sometimes the frozen pizza yeah. box is too big for your freezer, which yep. I think they need to think about in the marketing. Mm -hmm. It's got to be able to fit in. Nathan, what are your go-tos? The one that we've been eating a lot of is the Costco pepperoni that you can get, like, they come in a box of three. Um, I think I feel it was really good. And I, I we got the, the really, really thin crust sausage that they have, too, and I didn't like it as much. It was fine. It tasted kind of just like an, any other um, frozen pizza would. But the, the, the pepperoni, uh, I guess it's Kirkland is probably their brand. Um, I think is, is really strong as far as frozen pizzas. I don't eat a lot of frozen pizzas. I used to eat a lot of Totino's, um, but we, we found a, a, a deep dish pizza recipe that we now make um, fairly regularly. Um, both the dough and the sauce just make it all from scratch. It, it's pretty fantastic. So we've been leaning on that more than eating frozen ones here in the last, I'd say, three, four months. But isn't that more work? Yes, but it tastes significantly better, and it's fun. It's fun to make. It's fun to make your own food. I do like the. Uh, I like like you buy like the bobbly crust or whatever, and get the sauce and the cheese, and then like I mean the you know the crust is already made, but then you get to put your own toppings on and your own sauce and stuff. That's like halfway in between making your own and the frozen pizza. I like the home run in frozen pizza is a go to for me. Um, I think it's. I think it's really good. I just do – I think frozen pizzas have come a long way since I was a kid. When I was a kid, we ate a lot of Mama Celeste frozen pizzas. I don't know if you guys – I don't even know if they're around anymore, but it almost made me start to hate frozen pizzas because I was like, oh, God, Mama Celeste. But the, the level – they the level, the game – I think of all the progress – that things that have changed, you know, the invention of the internet, for instance, all the things that have changed in my life since I was a kid, I would think the advances in frozen pizza are near the top of that list. Yeah, we ate a lot of um, Tombstone growing up, a lot of uh, Jack's. Jack's, yes. 
Um, a lot of Red Baron. Yes. Um, I remember we had a bowling alley near us that we ate at somewhat frequently. They had pretty good food, actually, but their pizza was just they made you a frozen tombstone pizza. Oh, yeah, that's weak. Yeah. It's a bowling alley. It's a bowling alley in Ridge Farm, Illinois. I mean, it's, cool. it, it wasn't, a, you can't ask for much. That was, it wasn't run by someone from Italy. It's like, welcome to <laughs> no. our bowling alley. Pizza. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so good luck eating the frozen pizzas. This is a good time to eat the frozen pizzas. And that's it. Thanks to you guys for listening to this edition of Buckeye Talk. This was our Monday pod on, what day is it? I lost track of days. Monday, March 30th. Big one coming Wednesday. We have two different big topics we're, we're thinking about, but we still have lots of good ideas. Um, and we'll keep doing the mini pods on Mondays and Fridays. So read cleveland.com slash OSU. Uh, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, thanks so much for subscribing. And if you want to try the text, just shoot a text to 614-350-3315. So stay smart, stay safe. We'll talk to you guys soon. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.